Please be seated for our Bible readings. First reading is from Revelation chapter 20, can be found on page 1249 in the Pew Bibles. This is Revelation 20, starting at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And the gospel reading is from Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, starting at verse 31 and going through to 26, verse 2. It can be found on page 995. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, 
and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May we pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see you this morning. We pray that you would also open our ears to hear you as you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So those are quite difficult passages, aren't they? Judgment. We're thinking this morning about judgment and we're thinking about what Jesus says to us about the end the end of time. But before we get on to judgment, let's think about judgment as we see it in our world today. Where do we see judgment? Well, as I thought about that, I was thinking about some of the TV programs I like to watch. And at the moment, one of the favourites is MasterChef. Anyone else watch MasterChef? You have to have a lot of time on your hands to watch MasterChef because it's on, what, three times a week at the moment. I have no chance of keeping up with it. But it's great seeing the way that the different cooks respond to the different challenges. Um, My first favourite challenge is the one that they do at the beginning where they go into the kitchen and they show this huge store cupboard full of really good ingredients. But they don't know what the ingredients are going to be until they get there on that day. And they have to cook something. They have to come up with a recipe within an hour and a half um, to choose the ingredients, to produce the meal, and then to present it. And, and they bring it forward at the end onto this big, shiny, silver table in front of the judges to be judged by Greg and John. And Greg and John's criteria for judging is um, a bit random sometimes. It seems to include the way the plate looks and sometimes even the style of plates that they've chosen to present the meal on. Um, It it seems to include the choice of the flavour combinations, the choice of the ingredients, um, the cooking itself. But it's all a bit arbitrary. There's no set guideline for them to know how to cook a successful meal because actually cooking and eating are both fairly subjective. What I like, you may not like. Now, in our house, we never eat anything with garlic because somebody in the family doesn't like the smell of it. We never eat anything that's spicy, again, because somebody in the house doesn't like the smell of it. But other people do like those things, and that's really an important part of their weekly food shopping. It's subjective. And we see that on the programme when sometimes Greg wants to put someone through and John says, no, 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 I didn't like that at all. It was my worst meal of the day. There's no set criteria But what there is, is a set number of places available in the next round. And so sometimes the very talented cooks are sent home just because there's an even more talented cook in the room on that day. It's harsh. We might wish, certainly if we were contestants, that the criteria were a bit more clearly stated. Or even that the final decision didn't simply rest on the opinions of two people. 
You'll know of other TV competitions too where the judging can be arbitrary and can come down to personal preference. Think of Strictly Come Dancing, where half of the score is from the judges, half of the score is from the public, and they do really weird things when they phone up and vote for some people. And, you know, and then in the final round, the judge and the head judge has the final say on who's going to be eliminated. But in all those shows, we feel a little bit aggrieved when our favourites are sent home because we know that it's come down in the end to personal preference, not to ability... It's a bit like those people that go to football matches and sing songs about referees that have made bad choices in the way that they've interpreted the rules that day. Judging is harsh. It can be unfair. It's not an experience that we would look forward to because we fear failure, don't we? We feel that we're going to be rejected. We feel that somehow we will be found lacking in some way. We've had two passages this morning in our Bibles about judgment, about the end of time. But there are only two of many passages in the Bible about the end. And so as we read them, we must remember that we haven't presented you this morning with a full picture. And we also need to remember that those texts that we've looked at are ancient, and they're written in a particular style of picture language that would have been much more familiar to the people who heard it 2,000 years ago than they are to us. So with those things in mind, what can we learn from these passages about how to live our lives? What can we learn about the end and judgment? And I think the first thing that we can learn is that the end is definitely going to happen. There really will be an ending or a transformation of some sort of this world that we live in. At some time, Jesus will come again and he will be enthroned in glory. Sometimes I think we can slip into the idea that this world might just fizzle out, that it might just accidentally come to an end one day. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us there will be a definite end, and that is in God's control. The second thing that we might say about it is that when that happens, when that time comes, and we aren't told when that time will be, but when that time comes, there will be a judgment of all people who will be called to account for their actions and for the choices that we've made. But this judgment, unlike those TV shows, unlike those football matches, this judgment will be completely fair and completely just. And it will be underpinned by love, by God's love for his people, by God's desire for his people to be found up to the task that he has set them. And the criteria by which we will be judged is available to all. It's in here. It's in this Bible. The criteria is available to all and apply equally to all. God has no favourites. God has no personal preferences. This is not a subjective judgment. And there are no limits on the number that God will allow into his kingdom, into the next round, as it were. Everyone. And God's desire is that everybody will go through that judgment. The third thing that we might want to notice about the judgment that we read about in the Bible is that we may be surprised by the results of it. In that story that Jesus told of the sheep and the goats, neither group knew what it was that they'd done or that they'd not done. Those that had helped the hungry and the thirsty and the vulnerable and the oppressed had done so unconsciously. They hadn't set out to win brownie points from God. They had just lived their practical, Christian, kind, loving lives. 
the way that they had acted was an outworking of their faith, of their, of their response to God's love for them. They weren't performing tasks. They were just living their lives. It was a, an integral part of the way that they were saying yes to Jesus and to his ways. fourth thing that we might know as a result of this judgment is that people will be separated just as the um, shepherd separates his sheep and his goats. People will be separated into those who will enter eternal life and those who will be utterly lost from God, those who will be separated from him forever. Now, we might not like to think about that, particularly not given the picture language that we have in our Bibles that we heard. But that is what the Bible says. Those that turn away from God in the choices that they make and in the life that they live, regarding the weak and the powerless, those people are saying no to God. They're saying no to Jesus and his ways, and therefore they have no place in his eternal kingdom. Now, we we might be like the goats. We might want to cry out, that's not fair. We didn't know. When did this happen, Lord? But actually, we do know because we have it in the Bible. We're told how to live. We have it in the commandments that God gave us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Jesus even unpacks it very practically for us in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So we know how to live. But more than that, we have it in the life of Jesus himself because he spent most of his time healing the sick, welcoming the despised, providing food for the hungry, and speaking out on behalf of the marginalized and the oppressed. Jesus didn't just give us words to know how to live. He lived a life so that we would know how to live. And in that life, he identified with the vulnerable, the oppressed, and the marginalized when he walked around in Galilee. And he still identifies with those groups today. So when we fail to care for those groups of people, we fail to care for Jesus. We've just been singing, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see Jesus. He's there in the vulnerable and the hungry and the oppressed, in those that live in the margins of our world. Jesus is there. And when we fail them, then we fail Jesus. Whatever our words, our actions need to say yes to Jesus too. Sometimes in church we act as though we are the ones with God in here, in these walls. We think that out there, we need to take God out there to to share him with those people. This story that Jesus has told us about sheep and goats challenges that. It points out that Jesus is already on the streets in the broken lives of the very least of the people in our world. So in serving them, we will find that we're looking into his eyes. So, how do we make sure that we're living a life of saying yes to Jesus? Well, I think that we have to be very honest with ourselves about the fact that coming to church and reading our Bibles and even praying isn't enough on its own. Those things have to be put to work in our lives. They have to be lived out in our attitudes and in our actions. Coming to church and reading the Bible and praying are good things and very important things. But the real mark of our faith is the difference that it makes in our life every day. So if we're going to take the passages that we've just heard seriously, we have to take seriously helping the needy and standing up for the oppressed. 
We have to reflect our faith in every part of our life, not just the church life. We have to reflect our faith in the values we exhibit in our families, in the opinions we exchange in the office, in the times that we chat with our friends, the things that give us away what we truly think. We have to live our faith in the way that we use our time and our talents and all the resources God has given us. Living a life of saying yes to Jesus means living all the time in a spirit of loving kindness. So I was thinking about some local examples of people that do that, that live in a spirit of loving kindness. And I think that they're found in many of the organisations that have been formed when Christians have come together to do something to help those in need. So organisations like Street Pastors or Grace Trust or Freedom for Life Ministries, Christians Against Poverty, many of us support that work financially or through prayer or by giving up our time and offering our gifts to them. And that's a part of our saying yes to Jesus. But living in a spirit of loving kindness can happen in much smaller ways too. It can happen through time spent with a colleague who seems to be really down at the moment. It can happen through sending a card or making a phone call to someone that's having a hard time. It can happen through providing hospitality to somebody or giving a practical gift to someone who's struggling financially. That's in our personal lives, but living in a spirit of loving kindness should influence our political life too. It should influence the decisions that we make and the opinions that we form. It should affect the way that we read the newspaper and what we say about the news articles and current affairs. It should affect the way that we keep ourselves informed about what's happening all around the world. And then it should affect the action that we take as a result of that. So we might choose to become part of a fair trade organisation. We might want to campaign for prisoners of conscience We might want to be an advocate for human rights for refugees and for immigrants because today that is where we find the weak and the oppressed and the marginalised. In a short time, Jersey will be going to the polls again to elect our next state's members. We can demonstrate a spirit of loving kindness. We can demonstrate our saying yes to Jesus in the way that we use our vote so that we elect members who will stand up for the weak and the poor and the oppressed, and who will strive to promote the interests of the marginalised and the least amongst our society. And then, of course, we can lobby and pray for our elected politicians to act in a Christ-like way. But more than any of that, we can each live in the spirit of loving kindness. We can each live a life of saying yes to Jesus, simply by inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us each day to fill us and transform us. If we begin our day with a prayer that simply says, God, would you show me today those that need my kindness, those that need my generosity or my gentleness or my love, then God will always honour and answer that prayer. And we can then go into our day watching and waiting for those people God will show us that need to be shown some loving kindness. And if we do that day after day, not because we have to or because it's a job that we've got to tick off, but if we do it in response to God's loving kindness to us every day, then we will find ourselves transformed by the fruits of his Holy Spirit. Some people have used this story of the sheep and the goats to demonstrate that it's our good works that will save us 
and not our faith. Now that's not what I'm saying. In fact, that is quite wrong. We are saved by faith through God's grace alone. But that faith is dead faith unless it's demonstrated, unless it's lived out in practical acts of loving kindness towards others. And this is what's at the very heart of Matthew's teaching, of Jesus' teaching that we've read in Matthew over the last few weeks. He's encouraged his disciples to be obedient to his ways, not because of a prescribed set of rules or laws that we have to follow, but simply in response to the joy of God's love in our lives. When we know ourselves to be loved, really loved, then we will always be ready to visibly and joyfully demonstrate God's love wherever we are and whoever we're with. The the Christian comedian Milton Jones, I don't know if any of you have heard of him or seen him even, he says this about judgment. He says, judgment will be like being on a luggage carousel. Eventually, you get claimed by your rightful owner. I'm sure you can remember standing at the baggage carousel waiting for your bag to come round. We want to be claimed by the rightful owner, don't we? I don't want ever to be the kind of preacher who frightens people with stories of hellfire and damnation. But neither do I want us to shirk away from the responsibility of teaching what the Bible says about the end. And that that reality is that the end will come and that we will be judged according to our actions, according to whether we've said yes to Jesus, not only through our words, not only through our prayers, but in the way that we have lived our life, in the way that we've expressed that saying yes to Jesus. And most especially through the way that we have treated the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the sick and the oppressed. So may we pray. Loving Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you that you show us how to live. Thank you for your word which teaches us all that we need to know. Thank you that you are a fair and just God who desires for each one of us to enter eternal life. Teach us how to live each day in a spirit of loving kindness so that the yes that we say to Jesus is a real yes that is expressed through the way that we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.